You're listening to the sermon series, The Songs of Jesus, at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we'll see the power of singing the stories of Jesus. We'll see how these songs are rooted in the promises of God, speak to our deepest longings, and equip us to bring all we are to Him. Let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. We're in Luke chapter chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, the passage of Scripture is in your bulletin as well as on the screen. And so we are, we're kind of looking at a, 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 a story that's, that's a part of the birth narrative for Luke, but it's not a story that we normally uh, unpack during Christmas. And so we're just going to look primarily at one verse, but I want to read kind of the context of this. So starting in verse 25, and we'll read down to verse 35. So whether, there, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents uh, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arm and praised God, and he said this, Now, Master, You can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we, we, we do uh, shout with joy for you sending your Son, and we are eternally grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I may this season, even though there's all kinds of things that go on, uh, may we not lose sight of that, that blessed gift of Jesus Christ. Now help us, Lord, to have a posture in our hearts of open hands that we will receive what you have for us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So there are um, kind of two Sundays out of a year that are really hard to preach, okay? Um, so if, if you're not a preacher, you I want to understand this, so I'll give you a little window into my world. The two Sundays are is the Sunday after Christmas. It's always a tough Sunday to preach. That's why I always hand that one off. Amen. So uh, my brother Zach is here. Uh, he serves as, there he is, a family youth ministry up in Indianapolis Large Church there. So that used to be his, his go-to Sunday for me. He would always have the Sunday after Christmas, and I'd give him a big kiss for that. So because I know it's a hard Sunday, uh, but equally as hard is the Sunday before Christmas. Kind of weird. It is. It's um, one. It's it's usually a lower attended. So usually the big Sunday for us is the Sunday before this Sunday. Everybody, a lot of people already start traveling and heading out. And usually the Sunday before Christmas, a lot of us are really kind of done. You know, <laughs> we're kind of. Our shoulders are slumping, we're, we're, we're tired, we're, we've gone to like a million parties, or we've smiled so much, our face is hurting. So we're like, we're just, we're, we're exhausted. You know, I think some of us come in with a lot of mixed emotions. Like if you're 
in middle school or high school or elementary school, you're like extremely excited because school's out for a few weeks, right? It's like, hallelujah, praise God. Uh, if you're a parent of those children, you're going, oh, school's out for a few weeks, you know, like that's how it is. Some of you are getting ready to leave maybe today or sometime this week, and there's all kinds of like mixed emotions about going home. Some of you are really excited about that. You're thrilled. Hallelujah. You love your parents. They're pretty healthy or whatever. And it's others of you got just one chaotic family, and it's just a stress you know it's like you can feel your anxiety um you know kind of rising even as i talk and so and uh, you know we're three days away i don't know if you knew that or not like you're, you're three days away from christmas and so you still have a chance right if you still got some christmas shopping to do go for it it's going to be chaos out there but um but you, you still got a chance to get some stuff done and so all of that um is what we all bring in this morning including me you know i'm not I'm not exempt from any of that. So we all come in kind of tired, anxious, all kinds of mixed emotions. And so with that in mind, um, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to step in the kind of Christmas season and speak um, kind of a hard truth to hear during this time of year. So if you're just joining us, like we've been in a kind of a series that we always do, we take a little break, do an Advent series, and, and, and what we've tried to do is just kind of pull out uh, some themes that are always present in Advent. So we started off with waiting, that's a, that's a huge theme within Advent, we talked about longing, uh, and then we, last week we talked about rejoicing, and today I, I want to talk about change. That's kind of uh, the, the direction and theme that I want to go with. And I didn't anticipate this going into this series. Um, this series is coming off a little more weightier than I intend. You know what I'm saying? I, I did not intend for this to come across kind of heavy. And maybe it hasn't landed on you uh, in that way. Uh, hopefully it's landed on you if it's landed heavy. Hope it's landed in a good way. But it's been kind of heavy on me. And sometimes that I don't want to always bring that posture into this room. Uh, and so... Today is going to feel that a little bit, at least the first part. Hang with me because the second part will hopefully be a little more encouraging and, and give you something to be helpful for you during this Christmas season, especially as we start a new year in 2020. So I'm making the assumption here, I'm not building this argument here at the beginning, I'm making an assumption that you want to change, that you want to be different, that you want to mature, that you want to grow. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that, I pray that's what you lean into. And, and if you don't feel that desire, then, then I would say that the closest people around you, they want you to change. Not like in a bad way, you know what I'm saying? That kind of sounds bad. But, but I think you know what I mean. Like if you're married, like the reality is this, your spouse wants you to continue to mature and grow. I don't think it's wise for the spouse to make sure they tell them that, right? I don't... You're not the Holy Spirit for them. They don't need another one. Amen? All right? That's a, that's a little nugget there for married people. So um, even if you've got close friends here and relationships, if you've got children, like, I mean, bottom line is they want you to continue to mature and grow. And so that, that's the assumption I'm coming in with because it's an assumption I'm making in my own life. But here's what I know about change, growth, and maturity. It will be painful. The thing we want most as a follower of Jesus Christ 
to grow closer to the Lord, that God would continue to mature and grow us and change us, comes with what we don't want. And that's pain. Now, I know some of you are going like, where, where do you get that in this passage, right? Where is that? Well, well let me show you here real quick. Um, so Simeon, kind of a new character, not someone we're familiar with in the Christmas story, right? It's like we know Mary, Joseph, wise men, shepherds. Simeon? <laughs> Who's this guy? And we don't know much about him. Like, he just shows up. You know, he shows up and grabs a baby. <laughs> That's what he does. It's like, what are you doing here? It's not like he's a relative. It's not like Mary and Joseph know Simeon. It's not like, hey, we've got a history with this guy. All we know about Simeon is this, is that for some reason, the Spirit of God told Simeon that he would not die until he saw Jesus. That's all we know. And Mary and Joseph are going to Jerusalem to fulfill their, what, what's customary by the law and what they're supposed to do with their son at this time and offer sacrifices. As they get in there in the temple, this man named Simeon that they don't know grabs Jesus and basically sings a song of praise to him. Said, hallelujah, this is the one. This is the one that I've been waiting for. God, you have fulfilled your promise to me. I can now die in peace. I've seen Israel's salvation. And we saw there, Mary and Joseph are taken back by this. They're kind of amazed. What just shows us Mary and Joseph are not just like following a script. All that's going on with this child is a little bit of a shock to them. Like they're taken back. Like this is a very weird situation, weird birth, but now this is getting weirder. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're not writing, they're like following some kind of script that God gave to them. They're amazed. They're kind of shocked. And so, and so then after he sings sort of this praise of um, who this child is, he then goes and speaks kind of a blessing and a prophecy over Jesus and to Mary. So, so look what he says about Jesus, starting in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them, talking about Mary and Joseph, and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. So that's the first prophecy that's spoken over Jesus. And if you... If you read through Luke's narrative here in the first two chapters, this is the first place where the kind of the tone of the book, the tone of the narrative shifts. So up to this point, it's all joy. Right? Good news of a great joy. Here is Jesus. That kind of stuff. That's what's the, the spirit of chapters one and two. But here we see things shift. And we see that this great salvation that God has given to us in and through Jesus will come with conflict and opposition. And if you've been with us in Matthew, you, you've seen this. Like this is part of the narrative of Matthew, this, this building up of opposition toward Jesus to the point, as we know, the end of the story, they, they kill him, they crucify him. So some will receive Christ, others are going to oppose him. That's first prophecy. Second one is, and this is where I want to spend our time. He looks at Mary and he says this. And a sword will pierce your own soul. A sword will pierce your own soul. Now, I've never been stabbed by a sword. I've cut my finger a few times. Um, never had an operation either. But my guess is, if you get stabbed by a sword, it's probably painful. Amen? All right? And so obviously, what's, what's implied here, right, a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, means here's what your future, here's what's coming, pain. And so you've got to step back and go, okay, what, what is Simeon talking about? I, I, I do think 
He does have one event in mind, obviously the crucifixion, but I think he also has the whole of Mary's life in mind too. Not, not just one specific event, but a host of shattered dreams, hopes, and expectations that Mary, just like all of us in this room, had for her own life. And if you would just take a second and look at her life as a whole, you would see it, it's marked by pain, starting with the pregnancy. And it's a joyful thing usually for a, for a, a woman, for, for a mom, but not if you're a teenager and you're not married. I mean, that's still pretty shameful in our time. Can you imagine in a culture that's all about shame and honor? I mean, no matter what she tried to tell people, that's the narrative. She sleeps around. We've got language that we use to kind of call that. I mean, she can try to explain, hey, well, I got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, even trying to say that, right? That's her teenage years. Joseph marries her, and then they have to go to Bethlehem to be counted because their psycho emperor decides to do a census at this time, right? And I, you know, I've obviously never been pregnant, but I'm making a guess here. When you're nine months pregnant, you don't want to go travel, amen, right? Especially, I mean, even in the nice, wonderful things we have with a van or whatever, like it's not joyful to go travel five, six hours and be nine months pregnant. That just sounds miserable, let alone on a donkey. Have you guys done any horseback riding in your life? Raise your hand. That's not a very comfortable experience. I mean, it sounds wonderful. It looks great on film. Like, yeah, let's gallop, right? Oh, my. Most painful experience I've ever had in my life, right? <laughs> and I can't imagine being nine months pregnant. They have to flee to Egypt because Herod wants to kill all the firstborn in the middle of the night. They come back. They land in Nazareth, and they have this strange boy who obeys everything doesn't have a lot of fights going on with this he's always the peacemaker right coming in maybe mary and joseph thought about writing a book on how to raise a godly kid because jesus <laughs> is killing it for them right but there is there's all kinds of strangeness around there somewhere along this way mary lost joseph i mean we're speculating a little bit here but joseph drops off the narrative most likely somewhere Joseph dies when Jesus was young. Her son goes off at 30 years old into this public ministry that sounds kind of glamorous at first, but it's so confusing. It's, it's nothing that she expected. He says things and does things that's so strange. And in fact, one public event, he basically, um, you know, criticizes his mom and puts her in her place to some extent. And then... She has to go through what no parent should have to ever go through. She has to bury her own child. Excruciating pain of outliving a child. That's Mary's life. Yes, I'm not, like, guys, look, I'm not saying there wasn't any joy in that. I know there was, right? So I'm not saying the whole melody of Mary's life was painful, but I am saying that that was the common thread there. And all of that happened after God 
entered Mary's life. A sword will pierce your own soul. There will be pain. So here's, here's what I'm saying, and, and maybe you feel like this is a, a big leap here, but what is true of Mary is also true of us if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That if you love Jesus, if Jesus is in your life, then a sword will pass through your heart as well. Now, where are you getting that, Lyle? How, like, okay, that sounds like a big, huge leap. Well, well, well hang with me. Let's frame it within change. So if you want to change, you want to grow, here's the pattern. Here's the pattern that we see all throughout the Bible. Suffering, then glory. Crucifixion, then resurrection. Death, then life. What did Jesus say? If you want to, you want to lose your life here, then, then try to save it. If you want to save your life, then lose it here. If you want to truly live, then deny yourself. Die, die to yourself. So it's first death, then life. There's pain, then change, then maturing, then growth. Charles Drew in his little book called Journey We're Taking says this, growing closer to God, the thing a Christian wants most is wrought with something people want least, and that is pain. Healing often hurts first. If you ever go to a therapist or a counselor, which I have, what do they do? Things get worse before they get better. And usually what they'll do is they'll have you go back. And they'll have you go back to some very painful experiences in your life. Not to be mean, right? Not to hurt you more. But you've got to go back and, and navigate some of those very hurtful, wounding experiences so that you can have healing and grow and mature in the present. And that is no different in our walk with God. So we're coming to the end of another year, 2019. It's crazy to think about that. We got a week and a half, or maybe two weeks. I don't know what we got. Week and a half, so whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and then 2020, the year of clarity. Amen? <laughs> right. Oh, thank you for laughing. That was kind of stupid, but here... There's a lot that we do not know in 2020, just like at the beginning of 2019, there was a lot that you did not know. But here's what we, we can be certain of, right? Because we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world that is not as it should be, and your body is not as it should be. You still deal with sin, and you still deal with the sin of other people. And with that, in 2020... We can almost guarantee that 90% of you are going to go through something that's going to be really hard, really difficult, and really, really, really painful. That is our future. And so the question, like, okay, I'm getting to the good part. I know right now it's kind of heavy. So the question that I'm asking then is then how can I step into what I know is coming? Pain is coming for us. How can I, knowing that, I don't know what the pain's going to look like. I don't know what, in what manner. I have no idea. 
But I know it's coming because if I want to change, I want to mature, I want to grow, then pain is in my future. Then how do I step in and become better and not bitter? How can I have the resolve to get through this trial, through this difficulty, through this hardness, this painful thing? How can I be present with my family, with my kids, even in the midst of a really painful situation, instead of being aloof, disconnected, and guarded? I don't want that. I don't want my kids to experience me like that. I want them to experience dad being present with them. So how? How can I do that in the midst of something that's really, really painful? How can we be a people that remain joyful? How can we genuinely be a people that rejoice with those who rejoice while you're going through something that's, isn't that, there's no joy? And not be envious. How can we remain hopeful and not be cynical? So here's what I want to do I think there are, I don't know if you call them three truths, three words, call them wherever you want to, but if I, if I had to step back and not only look at the Christmas story, but even look at the experiences of my own life, my own pain, my own suffering, the difficulties I've dealt with, these are, if I had to say these are the three words that, that I kind of hold tight to. I'm not saying they're an exhaustive list, but they are the three that I keep coming back to, and I think they're woven and the Christmas story, and um, hopefully they will be what God gives you and helps you to have resolve um, to come out better and not be one who is bitter because of pain that happens in your life. They're all start with P, and I know that sounds really lame, amen, uh, but they have to. I'm a preacher, and every once in a while I'll do that. I don't like to do it because I, it makes me dry heave a little bit, but... Um, <laughs> Because sometimes we alliterate, and it's like, I don't think that really works, but you're trying to make it work. Just say whatever works better. Um, but this will hopefully help you remember because it helps me remember. The first one is this. God has a plan. God has a plan. I mean, every... Every year, we celebrate at Christmas basically the plan of God being fulfilled. That's what, what we celebrate. And that, that celebration, I would, that, that plan, I would call like the macro plan of God. It's the larger story that God is writing. And I know this sounds cheesy, and I know we use this, but it, it's true. History is his story. It is. He's the one that is writing this large narrative, this macro plan of God. And so every Christmas, if you read any of the birth stories in Matthew or Luke, you hear this, and this was fulfilled according to blank, and this happened according to blank. Even the praise that we see here with Simeon has uh, references to Isaiah chapter 40. So so all the time, the New Testament writers are making connections to the Old Testament because they're helping us see that this is the big story of God. This is the macro plan of God. It's happening. It, it, it happened, and we celebrate it every single year that God had a plan, and that story is happening. However, if you're like me, what we fail to do is connect the macro plan to the micro plan. 
that, oh yeah, God's got a larger story he's writing, but he's forgotten about me. Oh yeah, I can see the big plan that God is doing, but the plan of my life, I don't know. I, I can't see it. I don't see it happening. I, I, I feel lost. I feel like it's, I'm in the dark. He's not saying anything. So I, I can give kind of like lip service to the story that we celebrate every single year. But when I go and look at my own personal life, it's really hard for me to see God doing something in me. But what the macro is supposed to do is to give you confidence and trust that he's in the micro of your life. So I don't know what pain you're going through right now. I have no idea what's suffering, but listen to me. Listen, he had a plan, and he's writing this larger story, and he's got a plan for you. He is doing something with your story. He has not forgotten you. He's not fallen asleep. He's not aloof. He's got a plan. Now, the struggle with this plan is that we want to know the plan. Amen? Can I get one or two? You know what I'm saying? We want to know the plan. And some of this is kind of natural in us. And we don't even realize that we, we're projecting this on God, I, I would say. It's not like we, but we do it. It's kind of in us. Like what frustrates you the most about meetings at work? What, what is it? If there's no, what? Say it out loud. Agenda. And what's an agenda? It's a plan. I mean, I got a good friend of mine. And he kind of owns his company so he can do that. But he told me one time, he says, hey, man, if there's not an agenda for a meeting, I'm out. I literally get up and walk out the door. I said, what? That's nice that you could do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got a lot of privilege there, man. You know, you, you own the company for crying out loud, right? But what frustrates us the most is we want to know the plan. What's going on here? What are we doing here? What we're trying to accomplish here? That's what an agenda is. It's in us. Tell me what the plan is. Some of you, that's what frustrates you about going home for holidays. Like, somebody, please tell us the plan. When are we opening gifts? When are we eating breakfast? It's noon. Are we eating breakfast? Like, is that a part of the plan? Or am I on my own, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just frustrating. For some of you, that's how vacation, like, you, you want to know the plan. It drives you crazy to go on vacation with people like me who all just want to go to the beach and just read a book. That's all you want to do, read a book. That's the plan for the day. Sit on the beach and read a book. I, I, that sounds awful. What's the plan? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where are we eating dinner at? You know what I'm saying? Like it's all in us. And that is so hardwired in us that we project that upon God. And we can know that he has a plan for my story, my micro life. But we want to know it. And in his kindness and goodness, he keeps you from knowing it. It is, it is good of God to keep you from knowing the plan that he has for whatever situation and circumstances that's going on in your life. Listen to me. Would it have been good for Mary to know the plan? No mom gets past the point of seeing their son die. No mom. No, no matter what she knows comes on the other end. All we need to know, just like Mary knew, right, is that God had a plan. He is sending his son Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. There's the large story. There's the macro. And that macro is true so that I can know with confidence that what he's doing in my story, he's got a plan. 
So one, he has a plan. Secondly, is he's got promises. So it's not, it's not just enough just to have a plan. I need, to, I need some promises within that plan. And there are two that are vital for us. If we're going to be a people that get better and not bitter, if we're going to be a people that, that can rejoice and not find ourselves being cynical and envious of other people, we've got to know there are promises. And there's, here's the first one. It's the promise of Christmas. And that is God is with you. You are not alone. You don't have to face this problem by yourself. You may feel like you have to, but you don't. No, God is with you. The, the promise of Christmas is that Emmanuel is here. And what does Emmanuel mean? Say it out loud. It means what? God with us. God is with you. That's promise number one. I love how Charles Drew says it in his little book, like I said, Journey Worth Taking. He says this, it's not enough to have a friend ordering our circumstances. We also need this friend walking alongside us as we make our way. More than that, we need this friend inside us, changing our motives and removing our fears so that we can learn to grow through sometimes traumatic circumstances he orders up. If you are in the middle of a divorce, then guess what? God is with you in the middle of that divorce. If you are in the middle of losing your job at the end of the year, which is probably the worst time to lose your job, know this, that God is with you in the middle of losing that job. If you are in the middle of a broken relationship, whatever it be, your parents, your children, a neighbor, whatever, know that God is in the middle with you in that broken relationship. That is a promise from him. He's not going to leave you or never forsake you. But not only is the promise that he is with you, here's the second one we got to hold on to, and that is this, is that God is always working toward a good outcome. God is always, always, whether you see it or not, doesn't really matter. God is always working toward a good outcome. We see this. And all throughout the New Testament, man, but we see it primarily in Romans 8, 28. And my counsel for you, if you've got a friend that's going through a painful experience, do not quote this verse to him at the beginning because it's really hurtful. I'm serious. Do not do that. But it is a verse that if you're in the middle of it, you've got to have this. We know that all things work together for the good. All things. Painful things hurtful things, difficult things, suffering, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 29 11 says a similar thing there. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I realize that some of you will push back and say, hey, well, that's just a promise that was getting to the nation of Israel. And yes, it was originally written for the nation of Israel, but the new covenant has come along, and now those who are in Christ are the new people of God. And so that promise is not only just for the nation of Israel, it's all those that are in Christ. You are the new people. You are the new Israel. And that promise is for you. But we've got to understand what it means that he's got plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Prosper is not upward trajectory. How do I know that, Lyle? Look at Mary. When God entered her life, would you graph her life like this? Look at your life. When God entered your life, would you graph your life like this? 
I mean, you guys have seen my little sanctification slide I showed a couple years ago. It's always like this awkward dance, two steps back and one step forward, or one step back and two steps. I mean, it's just, it's like a constant circle. You're going all over. There's no graph that's going straight up. So the plans of not to harm you or plans to hope in a future is basically saying this, that God's intentions are always good. It doesn't mean he's going to guard you from pain. He's not. Because it is through pain that we learn what those lesser loves are. It is through pain that we learn what is less in order for us to receive what is best for us. God is not maliciously trying to harm you. He's not trying to make, you know, arbitrarily bring pain in your life as some kind of cosmic, you know, mean bully, so to speak. No, God wants to mature you. He wants to change you. He wants the best for you. And everything that comes in your life will have a good outcome. In fact, His Son, Jesus, voluntarily Put himself through excruciating pain in order to secure for you to know with confidence that there's going to be good coming out of your pain and the pain that you're dealing with right now is going to secure for you a future and increase your joy in that future. That's what your God did for you. He became a human being and went through excruciating pain so that someday he will wipe the tears from your eyes and there will be absolutely no more pain. That's, guys, look, I don't, I don't know where you are, but I gotta have some promises. I don't need just a plan, right? I don't need just a plan. I don't need to just know that God's got a plan. I gotta know that in the midst of those plans, he's not gonna leave me. He's always gonna be there. And then no matter how painful and dark it seems, that God is working toward a good outcome in that. That gives a resolve to persevere. That gives a resolve to get better and not bitter. But I don't just need a plan. I also, and, and a promise, look, the third P is this. Power. So if God's got a plan and he's got promises, but he doesn't have a power to work that plan and keep that promises, then the plan and the promise mean nothing. You follow me? It is a powerful name that we just sang. And our God is powerful. That's why these three Ps, right, so to speak, is what gives us resolve. Not only does he have a plan and a promise, but he has the power to work that plan and he has the power to keep all of those promises. I love what the angel says back to Mary when the angel says, hey, you're going to get pregnant, but you're not going to sleep with Joseph. And she goes, <laughs> what? Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I love different strokes back in the day. What you talking about, Willis? All right, that's, that's really dating me. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but whatever. But I love what the angel says to this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and what? Say it out loud. And what? Power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then a couple of verses later, he says this. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing 
is impossible with God. If there's anything that you hear this Christmas season in the midst of all the chaos and craziness, know this, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. I love how Mary says it in Luke 1, 49, where she's singing this song, for the mighty one has done great things for me. The powerful one has done great things for me. I don't need just a plan and a promise. I need to know he has the power to do that plan and keep his promises, and he does, for nothing is impossible with God. I love uh, what Hannah Anderson says about this idea of the power of God in her little book called Made for More. This is what she says. If we view God as too weak to guide our lives, we will become small, fearful people tossed by fate, always reacting to other people's choices. Instead of being defined by power and love, we'll become by, defined by fear anger, and impotency. When we fail to embrace God's sovereignty or his control in the details of our lives, we become victims. And nothing strips us of our humanity faster than becoming a victim. Amen to that. If only for the simple reason that God is not a victim, he is a God of power and love and wisdom and as his image bears we must be women and i had to add and men because this book was written for women and i gotta put myself in there amen and men of power and love and wisdom as well in order to be who we were created to be we must not only acknowledge the brokenness of this world but look what she says we must at the same time affirm that the love and the power of god is stronger still god has a plan a micro plan for your life in the midst of your pain and suffering whatever it is he's also given you a promise and that promise is this he's with you He's never going to leave you, never forsake you, and he's going to bring about a, a good outcome. And here's the even greater promise. He has the power to make that happen. He is able. What he sets out to do, he is mighty. He's got a plan, a promise, and power. So how can I be someone who's present even in the midst of, of pain, hold on to these. Remind yourselves of these. How can I be one who is joyful and not envious? How can I be one who rejoices with those who rejoice? Hold on to these. He's got a plan. He's made a promise. And he's a powerful one. How can I be one who is hopeful and not become like everyone else in our culture, cynical, full of cynicism, He's got a plan. He's made a promise. And he is powerful. Sometimes I don't know when to kind of weave these stories in here. Um, so I, I decided in between service to weave this story in there. And most of you know my story, uh, both Kathy and I's story, and, and the Lord giving us a, a little girl. Uh, we had her for five months. This was back in 2004. And... Um, God took her on October 31st of that, of that year. And so, you know, obviously the first Christmas was really, really hard. Uh, but, what, 15 Christmases later, it's still hard. 
I mean, it's, a, it's a different hard, but it's still hard. And on, um, on her tombstone, and I, and I wish I would have remembered uh, to bring a picture of this. That way you can see it. On the back of it, I, I may have shared this with you guys, but on the back of it is uh, Psalm, Psalm 27. And in that psalm, uh, we have the last kind of two verses that are um, engraved there. And these were, you know, the psalms were um, our life in this time, gave us voice to our grief. And, and even to this day, it, it still does that. But it's these two verses that kind of encompass all of what I'm trying to say with these three Ps. And this is what it says, and it's not on the screen because I just added this in between. It says, I, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Some translations say, um, something along the lines, I would have, would have despaired if I wasn't certain of the goodness of the Lord and that I would see it in the land of the living. And then verse 14 says this, wait, wait, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. So how, how do I wait in the midst of real difficult season? I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. He has a plan. He has a plan for you. He's got a promise. He's going to be with you that even the burying of a child, something good is coming out of that. And he's got the power to keep it. Let's pray. Sometimes, Father, we, we, we don't know how to express what's going on in us, and that's why we're thankful that you remind us that the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf and groans for us. And, so, uh, and sometimes that's how we feel, especially for those in this room that are in the midst of kind of a really dark season. So, God, we just ask that you would help us, as I just said at the beginning, that our hearts would have a posture of openness, that we would trust you, that we would surrender to you, and that we would believe what you have said to us in your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we end here, we just ask those who are followers of Jesus Christ to come forward, break a piece of the bread off, dip it in wine or juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine is always marked by twine. And it's an, it is, it's the chance and an opportunity that we get at the end of the service to reflect and commit and, and, and respond to this work that God has done for us through Jesus, this pain that he voluntarily went through for us. And so may that captivate your mind and heart as you come forward this morning.
But if you're not a Christian, then my encouragement for you is not to take this meal, but that you would receive Christ, that you'd put your faith and trust in him. Uh, there's no um, better one to give your life to than Jesus Christ. We always have leaders that are in the back. They have a lanyard on that would like to talk to you more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And they are also back there to pray with you and to pray for you. Um, maybe you're going through a really difficult season, and we would count it as a real privilege to pray with you uh, about that. So church, whenever you're ready to take communion, you can stand up and come forward. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.